This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can go to digmeout or dmounion.com to uh, support the podcast, join the conversation, all those sorts of things. In fact, this episode, Jay, was selected by our Patreon community. That's right. It's fun when this happens, when we throw out some ideas. Hey, what do you want to do? What do, what kind of episodes do you want to see as a part of our roundtable series? And during our last, uh, during the Ju- July, actually, it came up. Why don't you guys take a look at the big touring festivals in the 90s? Because touring festivals aren't really a thing anymore. Now it's destination festivals. But back in the 90s, you had a whole bunch of touring festivals. They came to you. You didn't go to them. You didn't have to pack a tent. Right. So there was a ma- there was like a major resurgence. So this is a topic that uh, yes we've been needing to cover, and we put it to a vote, and the votes came in. Warp tour, so that's what we're going to talk about. Went from nineteen ninety five through I believe is it is this the last year? So officially it ended last year, but this year they did a couple of uh, I guess you call them. Uh, celebration concerts where they did okay. some destination ones where one was in uh, Atlantic City and then the other was in uh, California, Southern California somewhere. I can't remember where, but yeah, they did two shows this year, but that was it. Yeah, it was in Mountain View, California, which is over uh, just south of uh, San Jose. Ah, okay. So we've got a lot of people who had stuff to tell us about the Warp Tour because to be completely honest... Jay and I have never been to the Warp Tour. We know nothing. We're relying on the people who uh, have been on this podcast and, and maybe some people who haven't been on this podcast, but we're going to introduce them, to share their stories. That's what this is about. This is about talking about the uh, the Warp Tour and, and the various years that it traveled around the country and the different lineups and what happened and stories, lots of stories. To help us do so, we have number of people who have joined us before but you know i don't like to start with the people who have who have been here before <laughs> i like to start with the people who have uh, not been here before so joining us from gainesville florida uh i didn't ask ahead of time and i'm infamous for slaughtering last names Vinny, how do you pronounce your last name uh fiorello fiorello joining us from the band less yep. than jake Vinny fiorello Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your stories and your insight because this will be interesting to get it from your perspective uh, on the on stage as opposed to the people who are staring at you from off uh, you know in front of the stage. So thanks. Absolutely, it should be it should be fun. I'm, st- I'm stoked to hear the other side as well. You know the people <laughs> who went to it and, and and the the fact that it meant. You know, I want to know what it meant to people who were always going to Warp Tour or just went once and said, I don't want to ever go again. And that was some people, too. Ooh. I I don't know if anybody here only went once. 
we'll see. I think everybody went more than once. That's my guess. I'm gonna, that's, that's what I'm going to bet. Well, we haven't heard Eric's story yet, so we'll see how that story ends and whether or not it meant he continued to go or no longer went. It's true. So, of course, we have a number of people who have schooled us over the years in um, the sounds that were relevant to the Warp Tour, which I guess if you're going to say what would be those sounds, it would be like punk, pop punk, ska. Uh, am, I, am, I, am I in the right ballpark with those? band types right on okay right on it so that means we got a couple gentlemen that have been here before eric grubbs welcome back hello guys good to be back with y'all good to have you back it's been a little while and then of course jeff takis welcome back hello if we were going to have anybody on i the first person i reached out to was jeff i said jeff we're doing this and he's like i'm in so that made sense. Now, the person who said, I have lots and lots of stories on Patreon is the gentleman who joined us for the infamous, legendary Kiss Roundtable back, uh, was it last year or two years ago? Chris Martz? When was uh, that? I, it's been so long, I can't even it's remember. It's been a while. It has been a while, so I can't remember. It's that. become a timeless episode, to be quite honest. So whether when it took place is irrelevant now because it just exists for forever in the ether december 2017 oh wow yeah wow that was a while ago yep it feels like just yesterday so does the start of the <laughs> warp tour <laughs> yeah, right. oh boy how about that oh boy how about that for a segue wow. that was smooth so 1995 is the inaugural year of the Vans Warp Tour. This is a, a phenomenon in the 90s, traveling rock tours or traveling festivals. We had a bunch of them. We had Lollapalooza. We had Ozfest, Lilith Fair, Horde. I'm sure there were other ones that I'm not remembering. And um, this one was, I believe this was the first that was sort of, Lollapalooza was like a smattering of all different sorts of styles and you could see all sorts of kinds of bands. This one had a focus, and I feel like that's what became the 90s in terms of Lilith Fair became, had a focus. Ozfest had a focus. They, had, they, they, they drilled down into sort of a certain genre or a couple of genres of music. And um, as I mentioned before, uh, Jay and I have never been to the Warp Tour, so we have to defer to the people who went there to tell us and tell our audience, what was the Warp Tour like? when it was traveling around the country. So we've, we, we polled everybody who's taking part in this and asked them when they went. So to kick off, the person who went to the very first Warp Tour, which was 1995, Chris Martz. Chris, tell us about your experience. Give us some insight into, well, first of all, how do you find out about it in 1995? You're not getting on a Twitter or Facebook, what, what was it? MTV News or what? Where'd you find out about it? No, uh, so I went to the Atlanta show, and back. Well, it's still around these days, but you know, back in the '90s, the way that we would find out about concerts is we had this weekly free newspaper that was distributed in the city called Creative Loafing, and whenever a new concert would get announced, they'd put out ads in there, and so every week, it was our mission to you know find Creative Loafing and see 
okay, cool. This show's getting announced. This one, and I remember seeing the ad for for Warp Tour and thinking, oh, uh, you know, there's a couple bands here I'd like to see, and it looks pretty interesting. So, you know, me and I think like my brother and a couple other buddies, we decided to go. Uh, what? And I want to go back and correct you a little bit. So, and this is actually kind of important. Was the first year of the Warp Tour? It actually was not sponsored by Vans. Oh. And, yeah, I think that going into 96, because I went in 96 also, is that you could see how much sponsorships really changed and made it a whole lot more kind of, I wouldn't say like corporate, but more professional. And it, it, it gave the, the, the tour a lot of money where they could actually do some stuff and make it just a, you know, a, little, a little more well-rounded. But back in 95, so I don't know if anybody's familiar with Atlanta, there's this there was this old concert venue called the masquerade where uh it was in an old like cotton mill in downtown but and behind there there was a, a stage where they you know with a little with a small lawn it wasn't like a full-blown amphitheater but they called it the music park so what was interesting about the the warp tour that is that in the main stage was outside out back uh, uh outside and then inside was where and they had so in, inside the masquerade, there's three levels, hell, heaven, and purgatory. Well, in heaven was the main stage, but, but they usually have concerts at, but the second stage for the Warp Tour was inside. And then, so they set up the ramp for the, 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 the skateboarding out on the, the lawn at the, at the music park. And then inside in the lower level in hell, they kind of did a small little street course for skateboarders. But it was just a great little little setup that they had. And it was just it just felt like something a lot different because, you know, it wasn't, you know, back then by 95 Lollapalooza had become this big thing where, you know, Pearl Jam and, you know, like Hole and all these other huge bands played, but Warped Tour, they had like quicks the first year, like quicksand headlined. And it's like, they were never, they were never a huge band. And, uh, you know, if you go down the lineup for 95, like no doubt and Deftones, they didn't play the Atlanta show. So you'd have like sick of it all and L seven. And it was just, it was just a cool day. I think the tickets were like 15 bucks. You just go there and hang out all day. And luckily, since the second stage was inside, you know, if you were sick of the sun, you could go inside and watch bands. And it was just for a 16 year old kid, it was just something different where it wasn't Lollapalooza, this huge amphitheater. It was something a lot smaller where you could see different bands. And it just, it always left a mark on me. Like it was, just saw some, you know, I, I remember walking outside and seeing Sublime. And, and then the next year when they hit it big and all the popular kids in high school started to like him, I was like, well, where were you guys last year when they played here? You didn't get to see him. But I, you know, I walked outside and watched a little bit of their set. So it's just, uh, you know, a few years ago, the Masquerade, they put on this festival called the Wrecking Ball. And they actually kind of recreated the whole thing where they had the main stage outside and then second and, and smaller stages inside. And it was just, it, it really reminded me of the first warp tour because it was just it was just different there you know there wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't packed or anything but it was just a really cool day that's what i remember about it on the uh the poster the uh monster half pipe and giant climbing wall get higher billing than no doubt <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah i mean that's it was pretty that, accurate yeah they 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 didn't even play the atlanta show i don't know how it worked where some bands hopped on and some bands hopped off but you know we had 
quick I remember the main stage was like quicksand, seaweed, L seven, orange nine millimeter, face to face. Then inside was like sick of it all and sieve and gutter mouth. But yeah, no doubt didn't even play here. And that was you know, that was I think a year before you know, Tragic Kingdom broke, so Right, yeah. Yeah, that's true. So I gotta ask, so Vinny, you mentioned that you didn't you guys were touring in 95 and the first year was 96 so you were aware of warp tour sort of launching correct yeah uh, uh, and the reason why i knew uh in florida guttermouth had played was so they hopped on obviously i don't know if they played the atlanta uh shows or not but uh guttermouth played and we were friends with guttermouth and we had toured with the descendants uh and guttermouth was on there and they told us some stories about it but uh, I was aware of it because people that were friends had gone to see it, and that's when uh, Guttermouth was, they were bringing somebody up from the crowd and then taking a drumstick, the singer would, and put it uh, up his butt and then uh, dare <laughs> someone for a free shirt to, to put it in their mouth. So, And that was their like, sort of like crude and weird trick, but... Uh, it was it was at a venue called Janice Landing, which is still around. It was in St. Petersburg, uh, and a similar thing to the setup. It it was usually a club, but they had it split where uh, the ramp was around one side, from what I've been told, and uh, you know they had uh, another second stage that was inside at a smaller club uh, that was in front of Janice Landing. Okay, so how do you like? How do you get onto a tour like that? Do they reach out to your management, and or or is your management like seeking that out? I think that you have a booking agent, and they were seeking opportunities. And uh, less than Jake at the time, we were touring between eight and nine months a year, and doing a lot of headlining uh, for the most part. And it was just. We, we kept on going, hey, we, we want to do a support tour. We want to do a support tour. And uh, this guy, Rick Bondi, who was booking us at the time, uh, Blink-22 was another band that he booked, and they started to break. So it gave him a little bit more leverage to put uh, Less Than Jake on the bill. So And, and that's what happened. And, now, and so I was looking at the 96 lineup. And Jeff, you can you can chime in here, but it looks like there was a much bigger lineup. But it looks like also there were a lot of swapping in and out of bands playing. So Jeff, I'm interested. You said this was your first year. Um, what were some of the bands that you would highlight as far as seeing um, at your stop? Yeah, there were four bands that I remember like going to that particular warp tour date which the warp tour date in 96 that i went to was in camden new jersey which is right across the river from philadelphia so it's basically the philadelphia stop and um those four bands that i still like remember their sets was the first time i saw all of these bands and they're all still bands that i love um less than jake must not have been on that that lineup in camden because i would have seen them for sure but the four um are rocket from the crypt face-to-face, Down by Law, and Dancehall Crashers. Interesting. Yeah, this yeah. this is a, a, a really interesting lineup looking back at it. There's the Deftones are back, but then you add 
like 311, which I think at this point 311 was starting to make <laughs> make some noise nationally. But you also have for one date Limp Biscuit. Yep. They yeah, played the Jacksonville date. Yeah, it must have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they played Jacksonville. That yep. makes sense. Yeah. So I wonder if that was a if that was just like an opportunity for like a, a one-off like that where they were from that area right correct so if they had like a a, a slot for a band from that area because i see that there's a couple of that inst- yeah. a couple of those instances where a band only played one date so i'm assuming it's all from that was a band from that area and they got to play the show for that area yeah so let, let can i tell you a story real quick is uh the second year it it didn't come to Atlanta. So me and my brother and a friend, we drove all the way up to New Jersey for the Asbury park date. And when we showed up, uh, I don't know who, if anybody's ever heard of shelter, shelter, the Harry. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Beyond so, planet earth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Their best album by far. But <laughs> so when we got there, like shelter wasn't advertised, but there was just rumors going around in the crowd. Like, Hey, shelter's going to play a show here. And they just literally—they literally just set up on the sidewalk outside the Stone Pony, and they played. And that was the only date that they showed. I guess I, if you go on, yeah, if you go on Wikipedia pages or anything, they're not listed for '96. But yeah, they—they de- they definitely showed up that day and played. Awesome. So, Vinny, were you with? How how long were you a part of the '96 tour? Was it for uh, a large number of dates? Because they they increased the number of dates from 25 to 30 for that year i we were on half okay the the first two years the first two years that we did warp tour we were on half and then uh on the third year that we were on warp tour we did the full thing and then pretty much we did the full thing every time we played warp tour until last year which we were in europe at the time and then came back and did the last uh 12 days or 10 days so what is the what is the vibe like backstage with regards to, you know, we hear stories about on, at Lollapalooza, like the Beastie Boys playing basketball with, you know, members of other bands. And, and there is this sort of like communal uh, aspect to when there's this traveling festival is, is, was that your perception? It, it all depends what, it all depends what year it is. Right. Because sometimes, the chemistry between the bands would be off a little bit. I remember when no effects uh, was out and they had under Rose there and the vibe was a, a bit weird and wonky just because, you know, fat Mike was just stirring the pot, uh, you know, uh, on the religious side of thing and kind of questioning their faith and their beliefs. So I think it all depends what, what year it was. But on top of all that, I think that as Warport goes during the summer, you find that in the middle of it, you have enclaves of people that they find each other like-minded. Maybe they didn't know each other before the tour, or maybe they were a fan and didn't know them personally, but you start to see uh, friendships start to happen between bands and between members of bands, and that's it starts to gel, and then uh, you, you see that sort of radiate out through the tour as the tour goes on. So by the end of it, uh, it feels like punk rock summer camp is what everyone always, you know, uh, described Warp Tour as. And for 
90% of my experience, it always felt like that by the end of the summer. After all the speed bumps and sort of uh, the alignment and the friendships start to get forged, uh, at the end, it, it felt great. And in the 90s, when it was pri- you know, primarily punk rock, a lot of those bands knew each other. So if you had Pennywise and No Effects, uh, Social Distortion, they all were from the same scene, and they, they played really big shows before in Southern California. So they already had that, that friendship forged before that. So uh, it was almost immediate that when uh, the tour started, they had their, uh, you know, their, their friendship circle you know, uh, already tied up. Now, what year, is this the year, 96, when Fueled by Ramen starts? It, it all depends. Uh, Field by Ramen uh, was around in different forms throughout, just uh, sometimes putting out less than Jake records and then uh, started to form a little bit more in that, that 96 range and 97 where we started to find bands and put out bands uh, pretty regularly that weren't less than Jake or weren't friends. Gotcha. I'm just curious if when the Warp Tour would come through town and, and you'd have these you know, local bands essentially that would get to play like a one-off date. If, if at any point you saw a band play one of those shows and, and thought, Oh, those guys are good. Like, and considered signing them or, or if it all came through, you know, friendships and that sort of thing where you knew people. Uh, dur- during that time, uh, Warp Tour was a little bit of a different uh, animal. Uh, there was some local stages that, uh, you can kind of go check out. Nothing ever really came of it, but on the opposite side, uh, mostly most of the Fueled by Ramen early bands came from Less Than Jake touring, where there was a local band, and then I went, wow, this is amazing, and go from Impossible's Big Wig, uh, you know, uh, Apocalypse Hoboken, and Beretta, all those bands were bands that opened up for less than Jake that I fell in love with as I was watching going, how doesn't anyone know about you outside of Richmond, outside of Austin, outside of Houston? I, I, I'm, my mind is blown. And that's what really charged me up to, to push forward with doing a label was the, the, the amount of talent that, that people had out of just local bands. And I say just local bands, but at the time it, we didn't know anything about it. There wasn't any internet. You could go check it out, right? Right. You just, hey, this band's opening, and you stand on the side of the stage and watch them play, and you go, wow, this is this is blowing me away. So would you guys do, um, when you were playing, when I, I've seen where you know a band is on tour for some sort of festival, and they might go off and do like a one-off show uh, if, if they're not, um, playing that particular night or something like that, or, you know, might go do a secret show somewhere. Was there any of that where you might do something a little out of the ordinary while you were on the festival, or was it strictly, like, sticking to the festival? No, we we uh, had played some. We had some off shows, and we would go and we would play, you know, just a, a club show. I remember there was one show that we played it was in green bay wisconsin it was on a day off of warp it was us and 22 jacks and uh there were 600 kids stuffed in a 400 c club and 
it was brutally hot in there. The air conditioning didn't work, and uh, the, because there was a noise ordinance, they couldn't open the doors of the club either, so it was just baking <laughs> in there. And at that time, uh, we had this guy that would dress up with us and blow fire, and that night when he blew fire, it, it rolled across the ceiling, number one, which scared the shit out of me, but number two, the flame was so big and it was so hot that it took the air out of the room for a brief second where it, I couldn't breathe for this, like, you know, one second where it just, like, choked me out, and it, it, it put a, a pretty large amount of fear on me for blowing fire inside a club, uh, oversold club, too. But to answer your question, and, and a more simple form, anytime we were in that headspace of, hey, you guys want to come play? Yes, we want to come play. Do you guys want to take a day off of tour? No, we want to go play a show. So we would go, and it didn't matter where it was, if it was a day off or if it was an opportunity, we would go do the show or do a, a record store uh, in-store and play in there. And it, whatever the opportunity was, we took that opportunity at the time because we were hungry. Right. So who of our roundtable here, We let's go to 97 and talk about because this is where the, 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 we get to um, an even bigger uh, lineup, including Weezer in '97. Um, who went in '97? Anybody? Not me. Uh, I went. Chris, what uh, stop did you go to? Uh, it it came back to Atlanta, so. Uh, we it was actually yeah, it was the last show of the tour so uh, me and my buddies we went to the Atlanta show and it had moved that it had moved to where they ended up playing every other time where which was the parking lot of the major amphitheater here in Atlanta called Lakewood so um, yeah but uh, Weezer did not play that show I think they played that show what was their what was their uh, pseudonym Goat Punishment I think it was. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure they were broken up and they just showed up and, and played a surprise show then. Yeah, they only played the, um, what it looks like, the Boise, Idaho yeah. <laughs> yeah. stop. But which, I, yeah. there's a uh, a list on, if you go to um, warp tour, warped-tour.fandom.com wiki, you can look at the lineups for every uh, iteration of the tour and... There's a they. This is when they start to list, um, the all the uh, what they call the the ASCAP Ernie Ball locals only stage, and when you look at some of the bands there, you're like, huh, that's interesting. For example, um, on the local stage for uh, for Carson, California, Lake Tahoe, um, two dates, it was Knapsack. And for uh, what was the other one that I saw that was interesting? Um, oh, I just lost it. Where, there was another. There was a couple of uh, different ones where I was like, "Huh, that's oh, it was the seven fifteen, the July fifteenth episode or episode." A stop <laughs> in. Guess who played Lawrence, Kansas? The Get Up Kids. The Get Up Kids. Interesting. Um, there's also quite a number of interesting bands that were on this particular tour for the for the main tour. Uh, Sugar Ray, 
was on this tour. Yep. Yep. Now, was it did, Chris? Did you see Sugar Ray? No, they, they didn't play that one. It okay. Was, yeah, unfortunately, since it was the last show of the tour, some of these bands that played the whole thing, they just kind of you know dropped off. I mean, I remember uh, Limp <laughs> they went Biscuit, home early. They didn't, yeah, like Limp, <laughs> Limp Biscuit, they went home early because. But Fred was still hanging around, and my brother went up and talked to him. He goes, "Hey man, what, are you guys playing?" He goes, uh, "I think it was Wes like hurt his uh, ankle skateboarding the day before, and so they just everybody else just went home." So, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, we didn't get Sugar Ray. Um, I'm looking here at the list. I mean, we got Boss Tones and Pennywise and Blink 182. I remember the Descendants played. Um, yeah. So yeah, Social D played. Vinny, can you confirm the uh, West Borland ankle injury story? <laughs> I, I, I can't actually, but uh, <laughs> you know what? It, 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 it's crazy because at that time, a lot of the a lot of those bands started to break really huge. So uh, that was one of the first moments of Warp Tour where they had to deal with security for artists, and they didn't have to deal with that the first few years because it never reached that sort of point of pandemonium you know where people went that's a star so we're gonna rush and we're gonna you know get get crazy but that year you had if i'm not mistaken it was sugar ray was on there kid rock was maybe on that year or maybe that was the next year i can't remember but that's before kid rock was uh exploded but still started to get radio airplay and started to push forward and it started to get get crazy i remember black eyed peas being on tour too and uh, that's when it, you know, started to get radio and it started to happen. And it, it was, it was nutty because Warp Tour wasn't prepared for these big, massive shows. Uh, they, st- they had to learn by, uh, doing, and that was with everything, you know, it's like Warp Tour. And if I can say anything about Warp Tour, Warp Tour, uh, learned every year from the previous year's mistakes. So if, this happened the previous year where the stages were ill-equipped with security or with barricades. That was fixed the next year. And if the sound was terrible, they tried to modify the sound for the, the next year coming. So Warp Tour, at a certain point, was just pushing forward every year uh, bigger and bigger and bigger and had to learn the lessons on the ground, boots on the ground. And, and that's pretty wild because... Lollapalooza, like you know, we had mentioned earlier, it it was just uh, you showed up and it was more of a corporate rock gig at an amphitheater. This was in a field or in a parking lot, and they had to set up fences and make perimeters and figure out where you know uh, eighty buses were going to park. And it, it was a wild, uh, a wild time to sort of be a part of it, and very wild west where there was a lot of. Uh, no rules going on. Like, less than Jake, you guys shouldn't do uh, a circle pit. Okay, we're not going to do a circle pit, Kevin. We're going to do a figure eight pit. And then we would do it and, and, you know, have kids bump into each other and give them concussions and stuff like that. But uh, (laughs) no no one was there to say, you really can't do this. This is against the law or this is against, you know, our company's policy. It was just we were out there and it was punk rock and, and there was a certain amount of the people who owned it and the bands for sure. And the athletes that were on it at the time that it was, Hey, fuck it. It's punk rock. We're going to do whatever the fuck we wanted to do. And we did. Kid rock was 98. 
<laughs> and that's and that's uh that's an interesting year because yes, it was <laughs> it's not only kid rock it's the specials well that's i mean that's a in terms of an influence and in terms of a you know a, somebody that's uh, casts a big shadow over the scene i would i imagine the specials would be right up there it and was then, the Terry Hall less version of the specials because you know Ska had really broken through in the late '90s, and so the specials reformed, but without Terry Hall. And they put out a record called "Guilty Until Proven Innocent," I believe. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like this is all like footnote because you know Terry Hall has reunited with the specials ever since. But at the time, it was like, hey, Ska is happening. The specials are getting name checked, and so it made sense for them for a version of them to reunite. So this is your first year, right, Eric? That's correct. Um, can I just should I just go ahead and tell the story? Tell so the can... story, please. Okay. Okay. All right. Because there is. A I know you're bit chomping. Okay. Chomping at the bit. Well, because like because like I'm hearing Chris tell these stories. I'm like these are great, and I'm like I want to share this this story because like this is the only time that I went. First of all, as a fan, uh, in the years later, I would cover it for the Dallas Observer because I wanted to cover something that I think that a lot of writers would have just dismissed as like stupid stuff that kids do. And there's and I wanted to represent like why people still like this and and give them respect. But uh, in 95, I first heard about the Warp Tour because Face to Face was then and still is one of my all time favorite bands. And hearing that they played it, there was all these like uh, skateboarding and BMX. That that was all very interesting to me. But as much as I liked Rancid and Bad Religion, I wasn't like full on into pop punk. And of course, Green Day was a, a big influence on me as well. But it wasn't until like the summer of 97 that I really, really got into pop punk. And just the flood of what was going on at the time, I really connected with it. And so the following year, my friend Tim and I decided to go to the Warp Tour date in Houston, and that was in early August of 98. Now, as we were driving down to the Astro Arena, which normally did not have shows, uh, probably the most notable show that they had had prior to that was Nirvana played there on the In Utero Tour. But for the most part, that was used for the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, you know, like they would just move cattle through there. And but it was the only like big venue that that, accom that could accommodate the warp tour, and it was all supposed to be in the parking lot. Well, as we're driving in, we see big rain clouds are up above. So then we get word as we get there, it's like, hey, the show has been moved indoors. And so Tim and I go in, and we have a great time. I mean, we saw Twenty Two Jacks, Hatebreed, uh, a little bit of the Deftones, um, Unwritten Law, uh, Reverend Horton Heat. And, uh, you know, it was, it was overall a great time. Oh, and the Aquabats played there, Bad Religion. I mean, many, many bands that I, I'm still proud to say that I got to see and I still love their music. But towards the middle of the afternoon, no effects played. And so and, and by the way, guys, this is this story that I'm about to tell. I, I'm just going to give you the eyewitness account. And, and it is in the no effects book that came out a few years ago. It's the official oral history of the band. But so I'm watching no effects play and I think it's a pretty good show. And in the middle of it, uh, Fat Mike says, you know what, guys, the sound in here is just god awful. And so, you know what, we, we what we what we decided to do is just give the money to you guys 
that we were supposed to make today, we're just going to throw this money away. Now, why I mention all this is because of the fact that, so I had been seeing all this stuff online, on like, I, 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 before I read message boards and long before social media, I was involved on email digest discussion lists. And on those discussion lists, people would talk about how like, punk is this and punk is that and you don't need money and uh, especially when it came to like no effects it's like you know oh man you don't need the money you can just be yourself and you can get by and all this and there are all these like virtues that were talked about in pop punk it's like if you were a pop punk fan you had to talk about your virtues and to me it was always about the music so but in other words i keep seeing all these people talk about like virtues and money doesn't matter so no effects is claiming that they're going to throw their 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 guarantee out and they claimed that it was $5000 that they were going to throw out to the crowd so then they have all these cannons go off and all these actual dollar bills fall from the sky. And I see this deluge of people in front of me rush towards the stage to just try to get as much money. So all this stuff I'd been seeing on the Internet about how, like, oh, money doesn't matter. I'm like, yeah, there you go. And that's that was my first <laughs> that was like my, my first tip that it's like people talk on the Internet about virtues. But when given the opportunity for free money, they'll go for it including, you know, kids from the suburbs that apparently don't need money. And so it turns out, as no effects explained in their book, is that they their guarantee was actually $12,000 and they only threw out $2,500 worth of that. So I got to see this this moment in time that, you know, has been it's been talked about in interviews. And as I said, it's in that no effects book. But for me, it was a very positive experience uh, to see all kinds of bands in a very short amount of time uh, and bands that I'm happy to say I did get to see back in those days. And this lineup looks like the kind of to me the stereotypical classic lineup for the tour, right? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of has that ska pop punk feel to it whereas the first two were a little bit more scattered ska was huge i mean it's it's like it i'm the people thought ska was going to be the next big thing heir apparent to pop punk which was heir apparent to grunge i mean they thought ska was going to be that huge and in the mainstream sense it only lasted a few years but a lot of bands got some great opportunities because of it i'm curious about the crossover with the swing revival because i see like cherry <laughs> pop and daddies and yep. reverend horton heat and some other bands that were sort of lumped in with that scene that happened just prior to this i guess it would have been like 96 97 so yeah. this is i mean still you know relevant but um i i guess is there was there a huge interest like when you went were you like sure. oh i want to go check out the cherry pop and daddies um honestly i wasn't really that into that stuff um I, I i memory is blanking on me but i can't remember if cherry pop and daddies played the houston date hepcat played the the houston date and that was really fun but it was just more like a laid back sort of thing but yeah i mean uh, it was a very popular thing. People were into it. Uh, it was the swing revival was very much part of the conversation of if you liked pop punk and you like ska, it's like it, it made sense that if you were into, um, you know, a band like Cherry Pop and Daddies. Yeah, and just to chime in, um, I distinctly remember 
seeing Royal Crown Review play in 97. Um, they played three years on the tour, but I, I distinctly remember seeing them in 97 when I went to the Philadelphia date, um, for sure. And I mean, it was kind of like what Eric said, though, as far as like, they were another band in the lineup. Like it was, um, you know, you, we can look back on it now. It's like, oh, like that was like a fad or this, you know, this like short moment in time, but it didn't feel that way back in 97. It was just like, Hey, this is like, you know, I, I like Royal crown review. I still like Royal crown review. Um, okay. Nobody's and, going after you. Dude. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying like, it didn't like, it was just another band on the, on the tour, if that makes sense. Like, so it was like, instead of like, you know, like a, a punk band setting up, it was, you know, these guys setting up, you know, their fancy music stands, you know, for their horn section, and they played a set. They were fun, yeah. I just don't remember something. Yeah, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I would just imagine they'd be a lot, they would be hot wearing suits uh, in the middle of July in various cities that were uh, quite warm. But, <laughs> Vinny, what were you going to say? I just was going to say that you guys got to remember that uh, Cherry Pop and Daddies at the time, I mean, they were sold over a million records. It, it was insane it was uh, people were rabid about it you know the shows that we had played with them we had played with them in the northwest way before they were on a major and they still were drawing 1200 kids 1800 kids and people were coming because they were great musicians but also the show was super fun so that high energy uh fun show translated to the warp tour crowd in like an instant you didn't have to know uh, the, the amazing Royal Crowns or Royal Crown Review or Cherry Pop and Daddies. You just knew that you saw the Descendants play and then this band came out and played Swing, but the energy was so off the charts that it didn't matter if you knew it or didn't know it. it people just gravitated to it. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I guess, yeah, yeah. We, we think of it more segmented uh, you know, scenes now, but it, it wasn't. I guess is the right. point. No. Yeah. Not, not, not at all. I mean, it was, it was all just alternative music at the time. It was, Warped Tour has always been that it's a pop culture focus. So at the time, pop punk was having a moment. Ska punk was having a moment. Swing was having a moment. Reggae music always has a moment. So it's always welcome, right? But, uh, it was just a, a forward-facing tour that happened to have the foundation based in punk rock music and alternative rock music. It's interesting, though, because I do, um, I have a little bit of a story from that 97 year kind of about, like, you know, there were, as you look at the lineups now, there are bands that stand out, and we mentioned one of them being before, being Limp Bizkit. And I definitely remember in 97 at that Philadelphia show, which was like in the parking lot of like the major uh, arena where the Sixers and Flyers would play. It was in their parking lot. And I distinctly remember being like, so it was like the, the main, the two main stages were next to each other, um, you know, both facing the same direction out into the crowd. And so as one band was playing the next band, was setting up or, you know, the people were setting up for the next band. And I distinctly remember, I don't know if Vinny remembers this, but um, it just so happened on that particular date that Less Than Jake 
was playing after Limp Biscuit, and so Limp Biscuit is playing on the one side, and you know people start seeing Less Than Jake and Less Than Jake's people and whoever else setting up stuff, and about halfway through, maybe two thirds of the way through Limp Biscuit's set, um, the crowd started chanting for Less Than Jake, um, and so actually in that particular summer day in Philly. Limp Biscuit left, like they, they, their set was cut short. I don't know by how much, not very long. And Less Than Jake came out early. Um, and so I thought that was kind of, you know, kind of an example of while it was all one big scene, there were definitely bands along the way who kind of stuck out that looking back on it, you yeah. could say, uh, they, they weren't in that scene. No, they, they weren't. And, you know, to add to what you're saying is that Warp Tour up into, Last year and and this year for the destination to destination shows, Warp Tour has always been a line item in a marketing plan for a label. Okay, uh, we're going to have these records come out and these bands have to get on Warp Tour because that's how we're going to market to the kids who we know are going to like it. So uh, Warp Tour, maybe someone went, well, they kind of play different music and not punk rock, so... We're going to uh, still uh, bring a tent out there. We're still going to get the band to play, even though they're playing hard rock instead of punk rock. And uh, people would come to find out that uh, uh, they weren't really uh, warmly welcomed there in, in, in certain types of music, you know. And it, it, but you have to always remember that Warp Tour for two decades or more uh, was, was the best marketing plan for the summer ever you could you could put your whole record marketing budget into the summer on the warp tour if your band was on it and you would have huge jumps in in record sales and uh just profile for the band if if you if you were lucky enough to have a band that was on it what was attendance like at a typical date how many people were were showing up uh 10 10 to twenty thousand. gotcha was it ever more than one day? Like, would they ever set up for longer than a day at any one stop? I don't think uh, so. Only, only during Boston was like that on their tenth uh, or twentieth. I can't remember what it was, but it was one of the the bigger years. So Boston happened to have double shows and and made something out of it. And then also L.A. While they would move it, they would have one in Ventura. Uh, and then they would have another one in Los Angeles County and then another one in the Inland Empire, like Pomona. And all of this was about an hour and a half away from each other. Uh, so it was still the same, you know, it was still the same area, but definitely different scenes of people would go and pick and choose to go to which one. So it's not double uh, in the same city, so to speak, in, in Southern California, but it was pretty close. And I only knew it one time, and that was Boston. We played one of the days in Boston. That's why I remember it, that it was there for two days in a row. Vinny, you mentioned it about be, about the uh, the pop, pop culture aspect of the tour, and it seems like up until 99, from, from 95 to 98, there's – you could kind of pick out, okay, this is the sound of what this is. It's it's pop punk, it's punk, it's ska. There's some 
one-offs here and there, like Olympus Git or what have you, where it's it's slightly different, but there it's loud, aggressive rock. Ninety-nine is a pretty big shift in terms of artists on there. At least on the main stage, you have, like you mentioned earlier, Black Eyed. This is the year Black Eyed Peas join, along with Eminem and Ice T. Uh, mm-hmm. That's an interesting shift. Was there discussion amongst the bands about, oh, well, this is this is different, or with even within your band, talking to your bandmates, that's that's an interesting choice to to have hip hop and and pop as a part of the as, as part of the tour. You know, I don't think anyone ever uh, thought twice about it. It was more so. Hey, it's cool that the Black Eyed Peas are here. It's and it all was per band basis, obviously. But there was most of the time just that left of center thing. It, it made people want to go see it. I remember when Atmosphere played, and that was a big thing where uh, you could tell that the the band members on the tour were excited about it because you look around on the side of the stage and it's three hundred people uh, and they're all in bands uh, and watching Atmosphere. And the crowd was a little bit light, but I couldn't believe how many band uh, band members were excited to have a different vibe and a different thing here. So you 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 know that at a certain point there's going to be different things. But uh, as a musician, you like different music. I I don't just like ska punk music. I like everything from you know reggae and hard rock and and. Uh, death metal and, and go down the line. I have I have favorite bands of a bunch of different genres. So it, it was never oh why is this band here and they're interlopers on Warped Tour. This makes no sense to me. It was always hey the 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 more diverse the lineup, the better it's going to be because that's what my taste in music. It's just equally diverse as long as they're uh, a good band and nice people. It didn't matter really. Okay, let me ask that for the people who were going to the tour. <laughs> See if they felt the same way. Uh, Eric, Jeff, Chris, did any of you go to 98? Or, sorry, 99 with uh, the lineup expanding in its in terms of its sound? Um, I did not uh, because of the fact that, you know, I got into pop punk, then I got into emo, and not at the time not a lot of emo bands were playing warp tour and uh and, and by then i had also moved four hours north and i didn't really know kind of the lay of the land but though the first show that i did see was at trees and it was 30 foot fall opening for the vandals so pop punk was still in my orbit but as far as like wanting to go to the warp tour it just it it didn't interest me for whatever reason um i think i was just like trying to find my way and actually go to like individual shows and not just a package tour right. once a year. And, and Blink-182 is on this year, right? And this is the year they kind of explode. Oh, yeah. 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 Is, ha- is that happening during the tour? I, I, don't, I don't remember the timing of that, but. Well, 98, they were still, uh, Dude Ranch was, their second album was doing really well, uh, but it uh-huh. wasn't, it, it didn't do as well as Enema of the State, and Enema of the State came out in '99. So they're in this like weird buffer period, but it was kind of like, I mean, I, I seem to recall that Blink 182 was on a radio show, a sponsored by a radio uh, station. They played with Catherine Wheel. 
<laughs> wow. can, can, can you imagine a bill like Blink-182? And this is full on like, hey, I fucked your mom last night and let's talk about diarrhea, you know, and <laughs> and like and this is and this is I think this is Adam and Eve era Catherine yeah. wheel. So compare <laughs> that with that. So this is why Rob Rob Dickinson builds Porsches now instead of touring. Yeah, because like <laughs> once again about uh, talking about being on email discussion list. I was on a Catherine Wheel discussion list and somebody was talking about how like I think it was a Philadelphia show and so maybe Jeff could back me up on this, but somebody's like, Yeah, I saw this band called Turk one eighty two. Yeah, I was looking at my my watch five minutes into their set and I was like, Why in the world is Blink one eighty two playing with Catherine Wheel? But again, it's like when you play with the the <laughs> payola, um, but uh, you know you have to have those kinds of bills, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and that's a good note uh, regarding where Blink One Eighty Two was. It was also, you know, Black Eyed Peas was mentioned. This isn't the Black Eyed Peas of my humps. Let's just make that clear. This is far before that in terms yeah, of, of their popularity. And it's like the same thing with Eminem. I don't think he had broken when what was it ninety nine. Right. He he wasn't super big back then. He wasn't like the Eminem we think of now. Right. Because um, right. I, I I remember I I did go to ninety nine, but I only went late in the day to see Seven Dust, and actually uh, the drummer's sister walked us in because I didn't want to pay for a ticket. I really wanted to see Seven Dust, and they like Eric. I had also kind of moved scenes as well from like this kind of. I was still on the emo scene, but gotten away from pop punk, punk, but I was super into new metal by that time. And, you know, like when I looked at the bands for 99, I was like, I don't really want to see any of these bands. But me and my brother, we we knew uh, Morgan from Seven Dust Sister. And my brother said, hey, Susan can Susan will get us in if you want to go. I was like, yeah, sure, we'll go, whatever. And we but I remember thinking i think eminem played right before seven dust or something i just i don't even remember the only thing i really remember about that was going to see seven dust and then leaving afterwards but uh, around this time you also have to think about where warp tour was in relation to these other festivals because by this time Lollapalooza wasn't around anymore um ozfest was pretty much at their apex i mean 98 99 they were just massive so I think the Warp Tour was trying to get a little of the new metal flavor on there as well and get some of the audience. Um, so, yeah, that's why you'd end up seeing bands like, you know, like Revelay. They played 99 Warp Tour. They ended up playing the second stage OzFest 2000. Like Seven Dust had played main stage OzFest 98, where they, that really, you know, that kind of put a rocket on their back and shot them to the moon. Uh, and then you, you know, it's like, they, I think, Warp Tour is trying to get in a little bit on that as well, and that's when you kind of see this more, even more diverse lineup that, as opposed to you know, like just pop punk back in the day. Also new for the '99 tour was um, the North America Yo-Yo Tour and the Warped Sports Paintball. <laughs> did you get anybody who went? Did you guys participate in any of the other non-music related activities? Did you go check out any of that stuff or no, but it was fun to watch. It was really cool to watch, you know, uh, like, you know, seeing the Deftones play and people going up and down a half pipe. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Yeah. I don't think they just, I don't think they let people just show up and skate because obviously insurance costs or whatever. 
Um, but I, I was never into skating in the first place, so I don't I don't know. Wait, yes. so you couldn't just go and? Oh, I, I thought that was like the part of point of it. Like you could go rock climbing and skating, and but it was actually like professionals that were doing that. Oh uh, yeah. For, for the it was for an the, expo. Uh, well, for the for the half pipe, it was pros, and then they had some pro am stuff. Uh, street, uh, the street course had set up. You could show up with your deck and play, and then go skate right while bands played, and and that was cool. Some of the weirder things they had a human cannonball one year, and I remember in the middle of one of our songs, we're just like playing, and all of a sudden I see a guy get shot out of a cannon, <laughs> you know, across uh, across the horizon line, and I thought that was cool. Uh, but it's funny you should mention the yo-yo guys. It's actually Steve Brown, who's you know this this you know a, a professional yo-yoer, and he still is to this day. He was part of of that crew, so we would bring uh, the yo-yo guys up and have them dress up in weird costumes and uh, do these crazy yo-yo tricks, and it was just a great time and a, a good hang. But for them to be there so far out of of uh, the norm but it fits somehow in this this world of misfits that that warp tour was putting together and it was awesome yeah you also saw this aging out of the like the teenagers that really got into pop punk through green day and rancid they were getting older and so interest was diversifying and so it was kind of like they would be willing to try all kinds of other things that younger people were into hence more new metal um, and I still stand behind this attitude that new metal was great for the first couple of years that it was around and then Limp Biscuit made it into a bro fest and kind of ruined it. But the thing was, is that, you know, Warp Tour really just wanted to show all sorts of different kinds of music that you weren't hearing on the radio, weren't necessarily hearing on MTV or seeing it on MTV and just giving them a platform to play to a mass audience and, you know, as much as people want to dismiss, you know, the bands that played Warp Tour, Warp Tour was around for 20 years. And more than where, I mean, it, it was it was 25 it, years. They just did their 25 year anniversary. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. The, long, the, the longest running uh, tour in the United States. It, yeah, because Kevin Lyman really listened to what teenagers wanted. And it it never changed every year. He was listening to him. And that's why he was able to do that festival year in and year out. And so it's like you got to commend it for that. I mean, there will be people that will never understand pop punk. They think it's just for teenagers and should be made fun of and not be treated as a real form of music. But the thing is, is that this I mean, we're talking very fondly about something that happened to us when we were in high school and college as like a very positive, well-remembered experience, you know? And so I don't think you could say the same about all those kids that were my age that went up to the Texas Motor Speedway in the mid-90s to go see Bush and No Doubt play in the middle of summer, and it was a free show put on by Blockbuster Music, and it's just kind of remembered as like an embarrassing thing. But here we are talking about the Warp Tour in a very positive way. You know, yes. it, it's with a with a warp tour and with pop punk in general. Those same people who dismiss the warp tour and dismiss, uh, you know, pop punk. I I, I always kind of challenge their their musical taste anyway. Those same sure. people who dismiss pop punk. I go, well, what about the jam? What about you know, go down the line of of 
of the Dickies and 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 start talking about older the 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 first round of of pop punk and no one what is I don't even know what you're talking about and you go exactly you know it's the case closed just because you're dismissing it because it happened in, in your sort of teenage window and that's the thing you gravitate to and you grew up you can't dismiss that genre or dismiss Warp Tour because they changed genres of music it wasn't you know the biggest complaint I always heard about Warp Tour when I first started going there uh, it was all punk rock and now it's all screamo and metal so I'm not going anymore and I would always say the same thing to people well at the time that's what was popular that was on the radio that was uh, getting uh, the exposure in magazines pop punk was that sort of a bubble it was bubble and then it boiled and then when it went away, why would, uh, you know, a, a tour that specializes in pop culture uh, drag a corpse along with it that was no longer relevant in pop culture? It didn't mean that genre wasn't relevant. Warp was just simply giving kids what they wanted. And you're absolutely correct on that. Yeah. And, and when I went to the ones in the 2010s, the thing that was a little disappointing was that these elder statesmen like the Bouncing Souls um, and face to face, they were playing to smaller crowds. Uh, but then again, when you have Attack Attack and Chiodos on the bill, uh, <laughs> and, and and under oath, I mean, more more teenagers were excited about that. But at the same time, I remember walking by the Bouncing Souls merch table and seeing their merch guy just with his arms folded and just scowling at all these teenagers walking by that weren't you know going to stop and buy a t-shirt they were more excited about attack attack merch or something and it's i mean there was definitely a divide i mean i remember seeing street dogs play there uh and street dogs who's their kind of their claim to fame is that the original singer of the dropkick murphy's uh became the singer of street dogs and uh there was there was definitely a there was a turn away from kind of the roots of it. But the thing is, is that the industry and what taste had changed, it's like, that's just how it happened. Um, but it was disappointing to see like these bands that I really valued in the nineties be playing to like small crowds. Now that said, one of the best moments I ever saw with the bouncing souls on, on one of the 2010s uh, uh, warp tours is that in the middle of their set, they stopped and gave their instruments to a band from England that all that they wanted to do was play the warp tour. So they let them play a three song mini set in the middle of their set. And then they gave the instruments back to the bouncing souls and they finished the rest of their set. So and and also, yeah. yes, Vinny, I just have to say this, is that when I saw you guys play on one of those 2010s, it's like you guys started playing a bunch of stuff from Hello Rock View. And Hello Rock View is the best known less than Jake record for me. And so I was like, oh, my God, I know all these songs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and and people were having a great time. And it didn't matter if it was like you were 15 or 26 or 36. People were having a really good time despite the hot conditions, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, like, well, listen, listen, Jake. You know, we never talked down to the kid who liked Attack Attack or Kyoto's or or anything. We were sure. there. We were there to have a good time, and we never mm -hmm. took it on to ourselves to be the curmudgeon and 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 age ourselves out of Warp Tour. There was plenty of bands that aged themselves out of Warp Tour. Bad Religion, for instance, where it was like this music here that you know whatever it is, this is bullshit. We don't like it fuck it and they aged themselves out of it and less than jake we never we never wanted to do that we knew that we were showing up 
and people wanted to have a good time. I wanted, hey, you know, an older brother to go to, to their younger brother or sister and go, I saw Less Than Jake when I was a teenager. It was fun. And I'm going to take you to Warport now, and you're going to have a good time. I didn't want ever to have someone show up at Warp Tour and it'd be a bum out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, uh, when we talk about the 20, the 2000s and the 2010s, I mean, some very diverse lineups there. And the first one that I covered for the Dallas Observer, Jeffree Star was performing. And this is long before yeah. he had his makeup empire. And I just thought, like, if if a guy came out uh, on stage in the 90s and played this kind of music, he would have been booed uh, and oh, yeah. like and hated um, but you know the the audience had changed, and uh, but without fail, there always seemed to be Hari Krishnas at every single time that I would go to the Warp Tour, and also like there was one year that Dillinger Escape Plan played, and this was uh, when Billy Reimer was their new drummer, and they were absolutely incredible. It was the Option Paralysis Tour, and that was yeah. that blew my mind. I got to see Against Me with Jay Weinberg on drums. And Laura was still known as Tom Gable. So I have a signed poster and there was a very short line. You know, it's like for for me, kind of the old guy, I got a, a short line to get stuff signed at the Warp Tour. And so Laura signed it as Tom Gable and Jay Weinberg, who's now in Slipknot, signed it as Jay. So those are all my Warp Tour memories. Then I'll shut up. <laughs> Well, since we're, you know, a 90s podcast, I wanted to make sure we went through all the 90s years one by one. I don't think we have enough time to go through all of the 2000s year year by year or else we're going to have a five and a half hour podcast. Uh, but I do want to get some stories. I, I guess, you know, you, you obviously just covered a lot there, Eric. Um, Jeff, what are some stories from the 2000s era that, of any Warped Tours that you went to that you would like to share? You know, I mean, I went to, as I'm kind of looking at each year uh, online, I went to more in the 2000s than I realized I did, um, which kind of speaks to what we were talking about um, as far as the, the what that tour was all about and what they were able to do. Um, I'm trying to, I don't have any, I mean, you know, one of the things, so it's interesting, like we talked about like, you know, discovering bands at Warp Tour and, and I didn't really, that didn't really happen to me all that often, um, but I do recall uh, one time where I saw a band that I wasn't really familiar with, um, but then became familiar with because I happened to be walking by as they were starting their set and was just like standing there mouth agape. And uh, it was probably in 2001 um, and it was Flogging Molly. And um, that, you know, again, that was like when I think about bands that like, I always, I always went to Warp Tour knowing who I was going to see, and it was usually a full agenda. So I never, like, the concept of discovering a band at Warp Tour didn't really happen very often for me. But that was one that still stands out to me to this day as a band that I really like. And again, not, you know, kind of like a band you could say, like, in a moment of time, um, you know, looking back, you know, it was, you know, they had a moment in time, but like they they were they i'm sure they still are i haven't seen him in a few years but they were an amazing live band and um so that's a story that kind of jumps out to me in reality you know whether it was in the 90s or in the 2000s 
what made Warped Tour so much fun and kept me coming back year after year was obviously great bands that I was interested in. Um, but it was just a, an awesome day with my friends, you know? Nice. Chris, what awesome days with your friends did you spend in the 2000s that you want to share some stories? Uh, not many, because 2001 was actually the last year I went to Warp Tour. I was looking at it. Oh. Here, so, yeah, I was I was done. Uh, I went. To, I wanted. To, I saw two shows that year. I saw Nashville and Atlanta, and I wanted to see 311. So I went to both of those. And aside from that, like I was super big into new metal at that time so ozfest kind of took was a little more important to me but then you know ozfest got a little bloated with all these you know it's like new metal just got a little too bloated at that time and it was on its downfall and ozfest was kind of transitioning away from new metal in the early 2000s and they you know they were having you know, they, it eventually kind of killed them too because they didn't really know where to go but Warp Tour, you know, it hung around by always changing and getting newer kids out there. <clears throat> Excuse me, but yeah, by at 2001, I was I was done. Unfortunately, I did not go a, a single year after that. Can, it would be uh, cool to hear like a day, uh, a day in the life from your side, Chris, uh, going to several of these, and then maybe from Vinny's side, like take us from the morning through the day um, until the end. Like, what did it look like? What was different about these festivals is that you didn't know when the bands were going to play, except for say on the main stage. You know, you had um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna run down Ozfest first, where you knew the headliners were like going to be either Ozzy or Black Sabbath, and then follow you know Pantera, blah blah blah. But we made me and my brother we mainly went for the second stage bands, and they would jumble those up all the time. And it's the same thing with the Warp Tour, where you didn't even know who was playing when until you got there that day. Mm. Um, obviously, you know, when I went in 96 in, in New Jersey, uh, Mighty Mighty Boston, they closed out the main stage because the impression that I get it just broken. Uh, it it kind of makes sense, but I remember at the same time, on the second stage, Blink-182 was the last band over there, and nobody was watching them. That's just kind of the way, I don't know if they would just roll a die and see who would play when, or if they would work it out amongst all the bands that work it out amongst each other or what but it would you know you would you would just never know so you'd have to get there early in order to, to make sure like hey in new jersey i remember Sensefield opened the main stage <clears throat> and i wanted to see them so i was glad that we got there early um, i didn't even know they played the warp tour that's amazing Sensefield was yeah. phenomenal yeah that was uh that they were torn for the building record and they <laughs> opened, they opened for the, the they opened the main stage that day in 96 so it wow. was yeah, and if we had shown up, you know, an hour later or something, it just said, uh, we don't want to be on the sun all day, we would have missed them. So that was. Yeah, that was the excitement, you know, that I would see teenagers really get there super early. And, you know, as I'm like waiting to get in line, you know, getting press pass and everything, I'd hear, you know, teenagers all excited about the very first band opening at the, you know, the Journey stage or Monster Energy stage. You know, because because it got to a point where each stage was sponsored by a different company. So, Vinny, walk us through a typical day on the other side of the the stage. What did that look like well, for you? It, everyone knows. You know, we just were talking about it. You you don't know when you're going on, and that includes bands. So, in the morning, Kevin Lyman is is in the front office, the production office, and he's sort of deciding. And sometimes 
you have a band that goes, hey, I, I want to go home, I'm seeing my wife, and we want to go on earlier, we want to go on last because we want to do X, Y, Z. So bands don't really know, most bands don't know what time you're going on. So it doesn't matter if you went to bed at 10 o'clock, and it doesn't, know, it doesn't matter if you went to bed at 6 in the morning. If at 10.45 in the morning uh, you get the schedule and it says, hey, by the way, you're going on at 11.30, well, guess what? You're going on at 11.30. No one knows, right? So for me, I would, you know, sort of be sleeping, uh, and in the morning, tour manager would come in and be like, we're going on in the afternoon, or we're going on the uh, on in the morning. Get up and let's do this. And uh, that's, you know, the first step. Second step is finding a bathroom. And uh, the, the <laughs> glamorous side of the glamorous side of being in a band, yeah, it's great. You're playing music and in front of people, and there's adoration, and you travel, and that's good. The dark side of being in a band is finding a bathroom mm. to uh, that's clean and that's logical, so you feel like a human. On Warp Tour, that's almost impossible. So uh, you'd get up in the morning and you'd scramble to a porta potty, and uh, in hopes that it's not too hot. And that uh, most of the crew hasn't erected uh, before you get there. So mm. you want to get there early so you're not in a, a, a shit sauna, so to speak. Right? <laughs> uh, and and, and uh, so you're, you're scrambling to find a bathroom. You have, you know, there's a, a certain amount of, of craziness where I'm looking at, uh, I'm waiting for the bathroom, uh, the porta potty, and... Uh, waiting, waiting, waiting. All of a sudden, Bill Stevenson, who's a god on drums from The Descendants, for those uh, for those who don't know, and you make eye contact with Bill Stevenson. He gives you the nod, and I have my wet, you know, my uh, my wet naps under my arm or my toilet paper <laughs> under my arm, and in I go after shitting after Bill Stevenson, and you make that eye contact because. Uh, you're proud at that point, going, "Hey, we're, we're I'm I'm walking in. There's no embarrassment. I'm I'm going in there to poop." And you can see that a mile away. You have guys in bands. All of a sudden, they have you know under their arm. They're trying to hide a roll of toilet paper. Well, guess what? You're on warp tour. Everyone has to shit sometime, and you're you're seeing your favorite band members of some of your favorite bands ever. Uh, doing the walk of shame into the porta potty during the day, which is crazy. So, uh, after you find uh, the bathroom, you look for food, uh, you check out bands, you and, and it's the same thing for a band member where you're plotting. Hey, I'm going to go see Bouncing Souls, and I'm going to go see this band that I heard was good. So I'm going to go check it out, and then I'm going to go find lunch. Then I'm going to warm up, and then we're going to play, and then we're going to have a signing. Lesson Jake would always have a signing uh, at our merch booth. Uh, just to say what's up to kids, sign whatever uh, they wanted us to, and we would go. Uh, sometimes there'd be press as well. Hey, uh, you have four interviews in this market. You're going to go. Okay, one guy does one, uh, one guy does two, another guy does one. So uh, it would be a, a full day. You know, Just because you're playing for a half hour or 40 minutes on Warp Tour, uh, there's plenty more to go around, and you're – you're in this crazy warp tour bubble, so most of the time I wouldn't even know what was around warp tour, and occasionally I would venture out and go, "Oh, we're we're right over by Electric Factory in Philly. That's where Camden was, right? Uh, oh, uh, we're we're 15 minutes away from the Electric Factory, so I'm going to go get a cheesesteak at the cheesesteak place I like, 
and I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. But for the most part, you're just living in this warp or bubble, and you're not really leaving uh, the where the, the the grounds where the music's at. So uh, you'd see the same people every day, and you'd get to see some new bands that maybe you never heard of, and you'd be on that constant stretch of looking for food or saying what's up, and the day would be full of music and kind of hanging out and occasionally living like a savage and occasionally living like a king, man. It was, it was that big of a, a canyon between those two things. Sometimes you're in the middle of a field. There's nothing except for 104 degree heat. And there's a ham sandwich that they're serving you in catering. Uh, and you played in front of a thousand kids or 2000 kids. And then sometimes they're serving you steak and you're in New York City, you can see, you know, in Randall's Island where they would have it, see uh, the New York skyline, and there'd be 15,000 people going fucking ballistic, and you're living like a king that day. But Warp Tour was great in that it made everybody, it broke down all of the barriers so that everybody was, it didn't matter if you were at, you number one at radio or you never, ever got played on the radio. Everybody was on equal footing. And that's the cool thing that was Warped Tour for 25 years is that Kevin broke it down to the barest of all and said, we're all the same here. We're all just guys that are in bands. And this is the festival that you could go first or you could go last or you're going to be in a field and mud into your ankles or dust. You're going to be blowing dust out for four days or you're going to be playing this fucking awesome venue and you're looking like the gorge in Washington looking down on a river and you're in this like gr amazing canyon where and the famous venue where you're playing music and uh, it was that big of ups and that big of downs it was crazy on, on a daily one day was great one day was shit one day was great one day was shit it, it was nutty and and that was to my last year playing it uh, last summer it was the same thing some days would be amazing other days it would be like what is going on here? This is this is insane. Yeah, I'll, I'll also add this uh, about what Vinny was saying about how like the fact that a lot of people that worked for the Warp Tour played in bands, and so they could understand the mentality of what you know, like young eager bands were feeling. Is that there was a documentary that came out a handful of years ago called No Room for Rock Stars, and it was a Warp Tour documentary, and they had like these like these threads and they were following this one band called forever came calling. I might be butchering their name, but they were a young band. They were a pop punk band and they just, all that they wanted to do was play the warp tour. Well, they finally somehow get to the back office and they are talking to Damon Atkinson. Yes. Damon Atkinson <laughs> of braid and Hey Mercedes, who has gone on to have a very, very amazing career in concert promotion and working in behind the scenes. And, you know, he's he's not troping around being all like, don't you know who I am? I played with Saves the Day on Conan O'Brien, you know, that but that's Damon's. That's not how Damon is. And so uh, he gives this band a chance and they're just like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And you can just see on Damon's expression. It's like. I know what these kids are going through and I'm giving them a shot just like how people had given me a shot when I was younger. So it, it was, you know, again, Warp Tour cared about the young and up and coming bands. That is crazy to me that the lineup changed every day. I can't yeah. think of, I, I, I can't imagine that any other festival did at least with did, the, maybe with the side stages that might've happened, but like, 
you would think the politics of that would just become unmanageable. So no bands complained. Everybody just took what they got and went and did their job. Well, did, no, I mean everyone would fucking complain, man. You knew what you were getting into. You know, there, there's a, there's a. Uh, I, I won't say the band, but I will say that there was a band that was uh, massive on rock stations. They were on Warp Tour. And they went to Kevin Lyman, and they were first, and went to Lyman and said, this is bullshit. We have a number one hit at rock radio. We're going first. Our fans are not going to be here. And Lyman looked at him and said, well, here's a list of bands that are on main stage. You tell me what one you want to kick off, and you go tell them that you're number one at rock radio <laughs> and that they're going <laughs> to go first, and you're going to take their spot. And they went, we're, well, we're not going to do that, and that's it. And he's like, yeah, exactly, man. And uh, that was the mentality of Kevin, but everyone who signed up for Warp knew that, hey, one day you're going to take it in the teeth, and one day you're going to be in the, the sweet spot. You're going to play before kids are falling out and too hot or too tired, and one day you're going to play where your, your fans are sitting in line and they hear you from the stage while they're waiting to get in and are bummed and you hear that all day long just yeah. is what it is and you were living were you living out of the bus every day i mean there's no hotels yeah yeah absolutely man you're, How... the bus is your home on 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 wharf there's no way to move you know and, and do it that way you're sort of landlocked once the bus parks how do you get a shower uh, you, some people, you know, less than Jake, we would bring camp showers where you fill them up and then the solar shower, the, the sun would heat that, the water up that are in the bags. And then you scrub down behind the bus and you do it that way. Other people would wait in line for some showers that would be at the amphitheater part of the venue. Uh, and me, I, you know, to be honest with you, I would go and get a nice warped work crust on me of dirt and sweat and salt, and then I wouldn't shower. So I would go uh, two weeks, three weeks without a shower, and when we would have a day off, I would go shower then at a hotel. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Punk rock, ladies and gentlemen. Man. Well, that it, is it's either that crusty. Or, it's either that or... or you're showering literally behind the bus, uh, and there's fans cruising by. And hey, Vinny, what's up? Uh, nothing, man. I'm just uh, I'm soaping up right now. Uh, maybe I could catch you after I, I rinse off. Like I never wanted to be that guy. Yeah. And our trombone player buddy, he would go out there no problem, and and you know be proud of the fact that he's out there scrubbing down amongst the punters, as we would call it. But for me, I I like the warp tour crust on me because I knew that every day. I would be as there. It didn't matter if I took ten showers; I'd still be as dirty as everybody else who didn't take a shower. So I just would bite the bullet and not shower. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I don't know how to. I don't know <laughs> how to continue. But you don't think about this stuff. Like when you go to the shows, you're just like, "Oh, I'm sure they go to some awesome hotel, and you know, right? You don't think about like how hard that is. Well, I mean. As there was all sorts of post parties that would happen around Dallas. I mean, the Double Wide was a place that uh, famously they were having. A, it was uh, one year in the 2010s where it was uh, the day before the Warp Tour. They had a 
it was it was just billed as oh tom gable is doing a solo acoustic set no it was against me full-on show and here they are you know at that time they were one of the biggest rock bands and here they are playing in a venue that holds i think 60 people and so it was nuts and it was amazing and um so, I mean, there were there were parties that were involved with that. There were the post parties, you know, but it was always like bus calls at 2 a.m. or something. Mm-hmm. And you just had to get on the bus and go to the next uh, next town. Absolutely. So yeah, now, I, now yeah. I know why you only did half the tour. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, sometimes you would do half tour and other times you would do the full tour. And the full tour would be... Uh, you would come back kind of shell-shocked at the end of it because, like I said, you're in that Warped Tour bubble. Once you go into the real world after that, you're like, this is the real world's weird, man. Like, And you're not seeing the same people that you would see day in and day out on this little micro micro community of Warped Tour. And you would settle into that community of Warped Tour, and it would be awesome. And once you left it, it would be very, very, very odd. Yeah, something that Vinny said earlier that really rang true to me is thinking about um like if you had a later set you was talking about like kids dropping off like that's like from the kind of from the fans perspective that's very real like you think about like talking about like a, the average day of warp tour for a fan like if you're one of those that were like me and many others who would get there like either as the gates were opening or before that you're talking 11 o'clock 11 30 um and you know you're talking about like eight hours in the sun and the heat you know i went to most of my work tours in the two all of the ones in the 2000s were in florida and um you talk about being outside in the florida heat for eight hours like people would pass out a lot and like you know yeah they would be teenagers or in their early 20s but like you know thinking about having that last time slot on the main stage might not actually be the peak of that day it might have been two and a half hours before that mm-hmm. um just fighting 100 100 you hit the nail on the head it's that sometimes it was better to play first and have kids that would be there they'd be excited and fresh than to play last last was always terrible man it's that you have you know a, a third of the crowd that's left and they're beat and it's just it takes you know, it takes a band really like digging in and not giving up and making the show about the fan to like bring the fan back to life when you're that last band. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like the the few bands that were left playing at the end of the day in the twenty tens was like, Yeah, I'm just ready to go home. I mean yeah. I, I I was in marching band in high school and all the things that I learned about how to survive being in a marching band with after school practice and summer band, you know, like wear light clothing, wear sunscreen and have plenty of water. I kept that all in mind with all the years that I would cover the warp tour, but I would feel bad for a lot of teenagers that would wear all black and not have any uh suntan lotion on or anything you know sunblock and you know i would see a lot of people you know passing out because of heat stroke and just just not taking care of themselves you know or but, or, uh, or the or the kid who was unfortunate enough to pick the woolly hat in the middle of the summertime as a fashion choice to wear all day long yeah you're like dude you're, you're gonna die soon in that and that it's crazy right so yeah uh, 
fashion over over uh, health, I, uh, there was occasionally you would see that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things in reading in the history of of the Warp Tour I, that caught my eye was the um, the Lesson Lab tent, and apparently maybe when you guys visited this or maybe Vinny, you went over to this, uh, was a, a tent f- for like, music lessons. Oh yeah. Uh, I got drum lessons at uh, Lone Star percussions tent. Um, and yeah, that was amazing. But there was also one where it's like, you would have to pay to like sit down and like, you know, get songwriting lessons or like guitar lessons or something. But it was, I mean, it was awesome. Vinny, did you ever do that? <laughs> I, I never did it because I always looked at it as kind of fleecing the fans. So what? Uh, while it was while it's cool idea, right? So you're going to sign up, and let's say it's my friend Ryan, uh, who was in Falling in Reverse at the time. Uh, he would do drum lessons, and that's cool, right? And there's some people that are really interested in drums, and he would go through it. And then there's other people that are just super fans that are going to pay the money because they want to have the contact. And they don't want to learn about the drums. So the people that are there who really want to learn drums versus the people that are there just because they want to be close to their their uh, favorite musician, it, it starts to get a little bit weird and a little bit of a gray area thing for me. And I sat in on some of those and just heard guys talk about there was one particular guy in a band and he was talking about the music industry he would give you the the basic 101 of getting signed and and doing all this and i sat there and i i couldn't believe some of the stuff that he was saying and i i felt bad for the kids that really wanted to know how to push their band forward because it was all the wrong things you know so and i remember it to this day it's it's stamped in my brain where there's a kid that's like, okay, this is what you do first. You know, before you write, you know, your songs, before you do anything, you have your band, you go find and hire a lawyer so he could shop your music. And I was thinking to myself, like, that is the, the most idiotic thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, why are you telling kids to go find a lawyer first before you write songs and before you have a record? makes no sense to me so i think there's a, a a gray area of people wanting the access just to musicians without really being serious and then there are some musicians who aren't really taking it serious and they just want the money grab of it and i'm not saying that that one is more prevalent than the other because there wasn't it was just random sampling of me walking by and and knowing some people who did it but it, it the idea is awesome and having that access to somebody's knowledge is equally awesome. I think that it didn't quite hit that uh, every single time in those in those scenarios. Gotcha. Well, we've we've gone quite a while here with our discussion. <laughs> there, is so, there is so much to talk about. There's, I mean, that's that's what's great about this. There's content. a lot to talk about. I guess I would like to wrap up with everyone maybe just share you know what's your personal um thoughts on the on the legacy of of warp tour i think what i've learned is that the tour i thought of the tour as simply being a punk pop punk ska tour because i was not tuned in and and i think what i've learned is that 
wasn't simply that. What it was 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 a reflection of a or or a uh, yeah a reflection of what was going on in popular culture. As Vinny mentioned earlier, it was much more responsive to the music of that whatever that year was than say when I when I start to look back at like the Lollapaloozas. And maybe that's why it sort of burned out was it seemed about getting the biggest names at a certain point, as opposed to what people who were younger were reacting to in an interesting, you know, or having interest in. So I guess I'd just like to get everybody's final thoughts on, you know, the legacy of Warp Tour and um, the... The, their experiences of going to it. So, uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Just randomly picking a name. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think what sticks out to me as being the legacy of the Warp Tour is that it was a multi-generational celebration of music, and I think that that's. Um, I think you know you could have had a panel of folks that are all 10 and 15 years younger than us. And I think they would have obviously different bands that they connected with different things, but their stories would be similar to ours um, with the bands that mattered to them. And I think that it's all under that warp tour umbrella is pretty remarkable. So that would be what I would say is I think the ultimate legacy of what warp tour was. Nice. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, uh, you know, obviously I grew out of it probably like early 20s or so. Um, yeah, it just gets to be a point where you don't want to, you get older, you don't want to be outside in the sun all day around all those people. And um, But then I have people, I when I used to manage a restaurant, I'd have you know, uh, younger people working for me and Whenever the warp tour would come around, they'd say, hey, "I'm going to warp tour. I need a Thursday off or whatever." I'd say, "You know, I'd be the old man and say, oh, yeah, well, <clears throat> I went to the first one back in '95,' but it was really cool." I mean, they'd tell me, "Oh, I'm going to go see this band and this band," and I'm like, "Hey, I, I have fun. I've never heard any of those bands, so." But um, it was just really cool to see, you know, like that it went on for so long and. While everybody thinks that, yeah, Lollapalooza kind of changed the culture or whatever, like Warp Tour is something that it went on for so long that so many, like I said, so many generations of people are just going to remember it's having a good time. Nice. Eric, your final thoughts. I, I echo what uh, Chris and Jeff said, but I'll also add this little uh, personal anecdote. Um, last year, Steve Soto of the Adolescents and 22 Jacks died. And I mean, I, I was a huge 22 Jacks fan and I just wanted, I mean, this is just what happens of like any time that there's kind of an unexpected death. It's like, you want to listen to that, that artist's music. And so I went into my library and I pulled out uncle Bob, the first 22 Jacks CD. And I had completely forgotten that Joe Sib, Jose, the drummer at the time who wasn't on the record, but whatever. And Steve Soto all signed that CD. Well, that was a CD, a CD that I bought off of Joe Sib at that Warp Tour that I went in 98. And they were all happy to sign it, and they were all great people. And so, like, that to me is, like, 
that's what the Warped Tour is all about as compared to like the other festivals is that you could see these people out and about and you could realize that, hey, these people are just kind of regular people making great music, but it doesn't mean that they have to be put on a pedestal. I can go and just talk to them about anything. And that's another thing about that punk rock ethos that was going in, yes, with corporate sponsorship and all this, and people can debate whether or not that's punk rock or whatnot. But I think Kevin Lyman did his best to have an affordable uh, festival for teenagers and college students and and people in their 20s to go and enjoy something uh, year in and year out. So, you know, I, I really don't have anything bad to say about it. Yes, it was hot. And I sometimes didn't understand why the fuck people were like chanting along to 303. But, hey, it wasn't for me. But there were plenty of other bands that were for me. Cool. I like that. Hey, you could, I mean, you could walk into the porta pot right after the drummer from Less Than Jake used it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> and most people did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I remember standing in line uh, and just talking to the Thrice guys. And then, like, later on, Thrice plays. And then there's Michael Shoemaker running sound for them. Well, Michael Shoemaker played guitar in Hey Mercedes. And I was like, hey, hi, how you doing? <laughs> Do you have a toilet paper under his arm? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's going to be the takeaway from this, isn't it? Oh, my God. That's awesome. Um, Vinny, I, I know it's it's practically impossible, considering your experience with Warp Tour, to, to sum it up in some, you know, 30 seconds of, uh, of, of thoughts. But in terms of its importance to you, to or, or not importance to you, in terms of your seeing the evolution from being you know involved from very early on all through the years and seeing the young bands come on each year and seeing the sound of what those bands and artists were doing change uh in response to the the youth when you step away from it now do you look back at that and go, this was something that was, is going to leave a mark on culture, you know, for years to come? Like, is, is this something that you think, you know, we'll be doing, you know, we're doing this podcast now, but in another 20 years, when, when, as the cycle of, of, uh, nostalgia swings back, do you think that this leaves a big mark on the music and, you know, the overall story of, of, popular culture in the 21st century well I, before i answer that i'm, I'm going to answer it kind of sideways real quick okay and i okay. think that warp tour for uh band members that were on warped and for people that showed up as a spectator to see those bands i think that warp tour became a rite of passage for bands to play and it became a rite of passage for fans to go to they knew that it was going to be hot and it was going to be crowded, but you wore those, you know, stars proudly and, and you left and you made it, you made it to the end of the day and you were sunburned the next day and you were dehydrated and you would show back up and you would go, yeah, I was at the warp tour yesterday and people would be like, Oh, you're so sunburned. Or it would be the same thing at the end of warp tour where you look at everybody that was on the tour with you and you made it through all the highs and through all the lows you came out the other side and it was this cool rite of passage and i think that 
anything that can transcend into that feeling of a rite of passage for people that are playing it and working it and people that are showing up to view it, I think that if it could uh, elevate to that uh, standpoint, I think that it will live and resonate for many, 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 many years to come. Excellent. I think this is a good point for us to wrap up and say thank you to all of our guests. This was a great, great episode. Uh, I'm already ready to put this in the Pantheon. It's so much fun, and I learned so much about uh, this thing that I did not get to take part in, but I got to hear the stories, and that was pretty awesome. I got to hear all these stories from you guys. So I want to go around the room and and plug everything that everybody's up to. Uh, Chris, what are you up to? Uh, just, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Chris Martz. Uh, pretty boring. I just, I basically just work all the time and I go to soccer games and I'm actually going to Vietnam for two weeks next month. So, oh. uh, yeah, going with a group of, uh, local Marines who were there for 50th anniversary of an occasion. So yeah, if you want to hear all about it or follow some cool pictures or whatever, just find me on online and that's what I'll be doing. Very neat. Uh, Eric Grubbs, theme park experience. Yes. Com. Yeah. You can still go to theme park experience.com. I'm also on, it's also theme park experience.blogspot.com. Um, and you can find my writing through there. I, I'm now just freelancing through central track and I am back to, on the horse with, uh, writing that next book, which is going to be a sequel to post. And as an aside, Vinny helped me out with some background information when I interviewed him last year, wanting to talk about when Lifetime put out a record on Fuel by Ramen. So thanks, Vinny. Nice. You're, you're very welcome. That record is fantastic, by the way. It is. It is. It's great. Did you see there, just to chime in, did you see their uh, recording again? Yes, I'm flipping the fuck out. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I flew up to D.C. to see him last year. I'm, I'm the same way. So Yeah. Um. Vinny, uh, where should people go? Are, are you on the socials, uh, Twitter, uh, uh, Facebook, that sort of thing? Uh, Instagram is what I'm most active on, and that's Wonderland War with a U. Uh, and I'm actually uh, getting uh, some interviews done for a podcast that I'm doing called Concentric Circles, which talks about... Uh, interviews creatives and kind of follows their thought pattern from idea to execution. So the pilot just came out and it's available where all podcasts are at and go check out the pilot and subscribe for, uh, uh, the episodes to start running in about two weeks. And that's called concentric circles. Yep. Okay. Excellent. Always love a new podcast to check out. Yes. Jeff. Rocket fuel. I know that. I know that it's been a little while since you've done stuff there, but you got the archive of stuff. Yep. Uh, are, is uh, is the legislature in session now, or are you off for uh, a summer break? What's what's going on in the state house? So, uh, I am uh, on a break. Um, the legislature uh, starts back with committee meetings in September. And then our uh, legislative session in Florida uh, this coming up year starts um, not too long after the new year, uh, so January in 2020. Excellent. 
Jeff, our most respected member of the uh, of the uh, Dig Me Out community, who has a as a uh, a legit government job that I'm sure <laughs> gets him access to all sorts of information that we don't know about Area 51 and that sort of thing. So, uh, oh no, it does not. <laughs> Uh, I want to thank our patrons who helped us select this episode. This is a blast. And remind everyone, you go to patreon.com via our various URLs, dmounion.com and digmeoutunion.com and all that kind of stuff, where you can join us for as little as two bucks a month to join the conversation. And then, of course, get access to the polls that make these episodes happen. And if you yes. like what you heard, leave some feedback itunes would be great so for jay i'm tim we are out and we'll be back next week with another episode dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages as well as our merchandise store at Zazzle.com. Another wasted day. The boy.